I've come to believe that probably the main reason that we as a community are unable to take any meaningful action on climate change, let alone comprehend the magnitude and the complexity of this problem that we all face, is probably like the main reason that nothing can really get done about it. Some stuff, but not enough. It's so overwhelming. How can you even think about thinking about doing something meaningful? But what if I told you that there's some very clever people all around the world who are figuring out ways to put meaningful, achievable change into the language and business plans that our brains, which are wired for uh, short-term decision-making, can actually comprehend and go, whoa, that's a good idea. One of those people is Dan Adams. He's the co-founder of Amber Energy, which is a small independent Australian energy retailer that have a simple yet elegant business model, which uses market pressure, which is a language that investment capital understands, to force the larger energy providers into shifting their generation from fossil fuels towards renewable energy and storage. Dan is my guest on the podcast this week. And if you've not thought about your energy bill as a way to engage in meaningful climate action every day, it's a conversation you might be interested in. Before we get to that, we do need to pay some ads. We actually pun intended, uh, have to keep the lights on here at Better Than Yesterday. There is an ad-free version of this show, which you can get at patreon.com, but I'll tell you more about that later on. Uh, until then, here's some ads, and then we'll be right back with Dan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hawaii's power comes from imported oil. It's called bunker oil. It's like the most polluting, cheapest dregs of the refining process. And it is incredibly expensive. Um, which is why Hawaii is really a test case for the world. They will be one of the first places to run their entire grid 
on solar plus wind plus batteries. Probably the next place where where it makes sense uh, is in Australia, but because we have an incredible solar resource, we have an incredible wind resource, we have an incredible amount of space. There is probably no other country on Earth that is better positioned to take advantage of the renewable transition that's going to happen over the next, you know, uh, hopefully over the next ten years than Australia. And it seems absolutely crazy to me that we're not jumping on that opportunity because both from, a, from an environmental perspective, from a moral perspective and from an economic perspective, it is an unbelievably big opportunity for us. That is co-founder of Amber Energy, Dan Adams. And I'm Washa Ginsberg. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. G'day, welcome. I'm Osha Ginsberg, and this is Better Than Yesterday. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, this is a podcast that is here to make your day today better than yesterday. In my opinion, this podcast has the kind of conversations that might be missing from your newsfeed, you know, the nuance that might be missing from your newsfeed. You might see a headline and a paragraph or two, but if you've got the time trying to understand a concept, you, you actually need to have a chat, listen to tone of voice, hear back and forth for your brain to kind of get wrapped around it. And um, that's what the show's here to do. And each one of those, each one of these episodes is going to make your day better. That's what we've been doing since 2013. We're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest, Fridays with you. And we are going on the road. Oh, hang on. I've got to tell you who I am. <laughs> I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad, a current mustache wearer. I haven't shaved in a It's the off season. I've got a silly mullet, which is fantastic, actually. Uh, matches my toddler's mullet because Audrey gave him a mullet. Then she cut my hair into a mullet. And look, I just kept it and it's fun. And um, I haven't shaved in a month and a bit or whatever. And last night I thought, oh my, this will be funny. And it was late. You know, it was like 11 o'clock when I got out of the shower. And Audrey was there. And um, I shaved myself a mustache. I haven't worn a mustache in front of her like ever, I think. And the double take was priceless, like absolutely priceless. She still hasn't kissed me. It's nearly 24 hours later, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. See who's going to win this one. Probably her. My argument is that it feels the same as the beard did and you kissed me with the beard. So, man. We are going on the road. We're going to do some live shows. April the 3rd, we're in Melbourne. April 22nd, we're in Brisbane. And... For the live shows, I've kind of been, you know, tossing up the format of the show. And here's what I, here's what I want to do. Because, look, I love a Friday show with you. I love being able to talk to you about my week. I like being able to check in with you. And I like to be open and honest about it, right? I think that's very important. That, however, is, is for me, it's a little difficult to do in front of, you know, 200 people. You know, I, I'm worried that, you know, there'll be people who have never been, who have never listened to the show because there'll be guests of those who do. And it's a bit close to the wind to talk about the things I talk about on a Friday in front of 200 people unbidded. You know what I mean? So I had to think about that. And just for now, I don't think I'll do that. Don't worry, I'll still be honest and shit on Fridays, but maybe not in the live show. In the q and I will be afterwards. But I'm going to tell stories. Not made up ones, real ones, true ones. Because if you read my book, my book was, I don't know, 22 stories that we put together and fleshed out because the book came out of a storytelling show, right? 
uh, Zoe Norton Lodge, who's uh, my collaborator on a lot of this kind of stuff, w- was brilliant and invited me along to her Long Running Night Story Club years ago. And the book came out of a story that I told, I think, on my third visit to Story Club. Now, I studied story writing and I studied storytelling. It's a, a form of performance that I absolutely adore. Uh, I studied it when I was living in America um, with some ex- extraordinary teachers. I, I love to do it. Uh, I love to tell a story on stage. It's a true story. Don't worry. They're true stories. They're all true stories. And I've got some fresh ones. I, I like to write them. I really enjoy writing them. If you've read my book, that's essentially what it, what, what it is, the kind of stories that I tell on stage. And uh, I've got a, a bunch of fresh ones that I haven't told yet in public, and I'm, and I'm really excited about it. So when you come to the show, I'll, I'll come out, say hi, and I'll tell you a bit of a story, and then I'll, I'll talk about it, who my guest is, I'll bring my guest out, I'll chat to the guest, we'll have some QA, and then we'll fuck off home because all the shows end early because babysitters are expensive. Uh, tickets at osherginsberg.com, and I, I'd lo- I can't wait for you to be there. It's going to be great. Melbourne, April 3rd is the one that we hit first. And uh, I'd really love your support. If you've been to and froing about whether or not you'll come to the gig, please get amongst it, get around it. It'd be just so great to have you there. It'd be so great to see you. And if, like me, when you listen to a podcast, you feel a little more connected, a little more human, uh, imagine what that feels like, experiencing a back-and-forth conversation in a, in a room. I've been to plenty of live podcast shows. When I lived in America, I used to go quite a bit to ones that feature guests and that's that's why I want to do this because I, I loved it. I, I loved that feeling of being in a crowd of a couple of hundred people witnessing the, the rhythm of a conversation as if it were a performance. But, you know, I just it was just wonderful to be a part of and um, that's what I want to do and that's what we're planning to do and that's what we're going to do. So April 3rd in Melbourne, two shows and each show, different story, different guest. April 22nd, Melbourne, each show, different story, different guest com for all the details. Get around it. So let me tell you about my guest today. Dan Adams is the co-founder of Amber Energy. They're an Australian independent energy retailer with the simple mission to get Australia to 100% renewable energy as quickly as possible. However, in the absence of meaningful government policy, and look, I have my theories as to why decades of consecutive governments of all shapes and sizes and flavors and sides of the aisle have done fuck all uh, about something that is so obvious to even primary school children. Uh, We'll get into that later. Um, Dan and his business partner, Chris Thompson, they pretty much decided that in the absence of policy, in order to try to help the big incumbent coal-burning power companies to shift towards renewable energy, they need, those companies need to be spoken to in a language that they understand. Investment capital, which is, I guess, the money that is put into massive infrastructure projects and will hopefully give a return for 10, 20, 40 years, things like, you know, super funds, managed funds, you know, things, funds run by bank, private funds, big stuff like that. Places looking for uh, a sturdy, long-term, predictable return uh, over decades, hoping to put a couple of spare million in and and get a couple of spare million out every year. Um, That's not silly money. That's very smart money and it's well-researched money and, and, and weeks, if not months, goes into where to put that money and invest in the companies that are working that will provide that return over the decades, right? 
essentially it's lots of money looking to make lots more money, all right? And it's very smart money. And it's it likes to play it safe. So there's one thing that'll make that money vanish from uh, an infrastructure project or a company. Those investment those investors, the funds will go quick as stick quick sticks. If that company that they've invested in has a product that isn't selling very well or a business model that is unsustainable or really inefficient with high production costs, okay? Those funds love to invest though in things that have low production costs, have a hot product that a lot of people are using and more people are using. And in fact, when like one fund gets in on this, the next fund across the street, they go, holy shit, we got to get in on that. And then they want to come in as well. And then someone else wants to come in as well sending the stock price of that company up and uh, therefore giving that company more capital to then do what they're doing even more. Because everybody wants to ride to the moon, you know, on this rocket of investment gains, right? Simply put, a business with innovative products that are in demand and are cheap to produce, um, they're, they're the things that investors look for. Now, those are startlingly clear signals that even the most climate-denying politician cannot ask an industry to ignore. They'd really fucking try. But our current conservative government is so hardline on their belief that the market will decide that, look, for they did not act when they were warned that Australia would need just squillions of rat tests come summertime, okay, last year. And instead of acting, they insisted that the private market the, the, the would take care of it and the market demand would decide when these things would come into the country. Anyway, you and I both lived through summer. You and I both had a summer holiday or not. We all have a story to tell about what happened there. To just say they dropped the ball is to, yeah. But they, this hard line, like, no, no, no. The, the, the market will decide. So what Dan and Chris from Amber are doing is simply giving customers access to real-time grid prices, Okay. So when there's lots of renewables in the grid, their electricity prices are incredibly low. Now, I am a fan of electric mobility. I have an electric car, electric motorbike, electric bicycle, electric scooter. So we're talking a lot of kilowatt hours, right? Sometimes the prices on Amber are so low, they're like seven cents a kilowatt hour, which is the lower ceiling of that. And we'll get towards why it never gets cheaper than seven cents. But that's fucking crazy cheap. But what about when there's not a lot of renewables in the grid? Well, the prices get to a point which will not only make your eyes water, they will, you'll probably want to kick over an election sign in someone's front yard when Dan talks about what happens to those energy retailers' bank accounts on those big, hot summer days on the East Coast. We're about to get an election called in Australia. However, every single day, you can choose to vote on progressive climate policy that will save your ass and mine and our kids and fucking maybe the economy. We get to vote on meaningful climate policy every day with our wallet, all right? How we shop, how we get from here to there, uh, where you put your super, where you go on holiday, how you go on holiday, what you eat and how you use your electricity and who you buy your electricity from. If we're going to live in a country where change only happens because of market pressure and not policy, then if you're anything like me, that's what we're going to have to do. 
That's what we're going to have to do so we can sleep at night and look our kids in the eye when they ask us, what did you do? You can find out more about Amber Electric at amber.com.au. And I hope you get the, I hope you get the chance to think about um, your energy bill a little differently after this conversation with Dan Adams. Hey, going? Good. Man. That's good. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's a good uh, setup you've got there. I've got my dinky headphones, and you've got the full. Uh... <laughs> well, look, one of us, one one of us runs an energy company. The other one is trying to run a podcast company. So, <laughs> you know, it must be so weird to be in those massive, massive companies that. Um, at the same time, are, are charging like a fucking bullet train. Yet, because they are, they cannot turn, they cannot pivot. So it must be wild to be in those companies and be smart enough to be hired by them to see projections, to see one year, five years, ten years, fifty year projections ahead of you, and go, "This is where we have to go." There's no way to make money and not go that way, and yet balance what the incumbent leadership shareholders super funds, whatever, are expecting of you. It must. I don't know how people get out of bed and go to work at a place like that. I certainly wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of classic incumbents dilemma. Like I am sure, I'm sure everybody there can see the writing on the wall. Everybody there can see the world is going to 100% renewables. The world is going to electric vehicles. This is the future. And that is the future, both like the moral there's a moral imperative that that's the future, but also like economically, that's where all the opportunities are. Um, but if all of your asset, assets are tied up in the whole in the old world, it's just very hard to make that transition at the speed that we need to be making that transition. Um, and you just have these these sort of misaligned incentives to what is in your short term interest is fundamentally not in your long term interest or the interest of the world. <laughs> I I love I love the way you think about things, Dad, and and. You know, I'm I'm so grateful I could I could talk to you. But I researching this uh, conversation, I, I realized that I knew of your work well before Amber Electric. Well before, um, I, I'd love to know what were you doing right before you went. You know what? Make poverty history. That's a fucking great idea. I'm going to make this enormous festival. Let's go. Like, what was happening in your life right before that? <laughs> Uh, well, I was very young. Um, I was uh, 19 when that concert happened. Um, and there was a moment just before that that was quite uh, a confronting experience for me that was really transformed everything I've done in my life um, since then. So I just finished high school. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to go surfing uh, over in Samoa, um, which was uh, an amazing trip. And while I was there, I um, cut myself on, a coral, on the coral reef Um and I went and lay down in this little sort of far away that I was staying at. And um, 24 hours later, I was still lying there, shaking deliriously with sweat dripping down my face. Um, and uh, a guy who I'd been surfing with came and found me and realized how sick I was. They took me to the local hospital. The local hospital had 37 doctors, um, but 30 of them were on strike because of the conditions in the hospital. And I sat in this queue of six Samoans just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, and eventually a doctor came and took my temperature and she said, your temperature, I think it was 40.1 degrees. Um, and she said, I think you've got um, a golden staph blood infection um, and without antibiotics, you're going to die. And we don't have any antibiotics on the island. Um, 
and uh, basically we can't help you. Um, and it was for a, you know for a young person who had grown up in Melbourne. I had a very privileged upbringing in Melbourne to be confronted with that reality of the inequality that exists in our world. That I could buy those drugs for ten dollars at the local chemist, and yet I was told I was going to want to I was going to die for want of drugs that we could get so easily. Um, fortunately, um, my family rallied around. Um, I had travel insurance. They organised a plane to fly me off the island to a first world hospital. Um, I spent two weeks on an antibiotic drip. I lost a lot of weight. Um, but eventually I recovered. And I lay in that hospital bed thinking, you know, why the hell do I have the right to drugs um, uh, you know, and to a plane to fly me off the island um, when the local people don't have the right to drugs that cost just a few dollars? Um, and realising that I wouldn't be alive had I been a local Samoan um, was a really uh, confronting experience for me. And so I lay in that hospital bed and I started, you know, thinking about this inequality that exists in our world, trying to learn about it, trying to understand why does this still exist, realising that the world had, you know, the financial resources to end this inequality. Um, we just needed the collective will um, to make that happen. And I started learning about the Millennium Development Goals, um, the, the Make Property History campaign that had been running in Europe at the time. Um, Bob Geldof had organised the a Make Property History concert or the Live 8 concerts in, um, in the UK in 2005. So this is January 2005. Um, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do something like that? Uh, in Australia, um, you know, run a concert in Australia, build awareness around this inequality that exists in our world, and encourage our government to play a more effective role in addressing inequality in our region. Um, and so I thought, you know, I probably shouldn't be alive, so if I have to work pretty hard for, for the next 12 months, that's no big deal. Um, and so I came back and I, I had no experience in the music industry, literally no idea what I was doing, um, but just this idea uh, that, um, you know, and at that point the idea was to have it at Federation Square, to have sort of one high-profile band um, and, uh, you know, send a message to our government. Um, and I spent six months calling every band, every media partner, every sponsor I could think of in the country. Um, had, a, had a sort of team of volunteers from the Oak Tree Foundation and we got absolutely nowhere. Everyone was sort of losing faith that this, this pipe dream uh, could actually happen. Um, and then we managed to get one big Australian band on board. It was Evermore uh, at the time. Um, and then suddenly this thing just started snowballing and all these bands um, that I've been calling, calling started calling me back saying, um, you know, uh, we hear this thing is happening. We want to be a part of it. Um, I wasn't very cool, so I had to get my friend's advice about which <laughs> which bands to, to get on board. And then one day I was lying in bed at sort of 2 in the morning and I thought, um, if I could have any band in the world at this event, uh, who would it be? Um, and I decided uh, it would be uh, Pearl Jam or U2. So I got up, found their management contact details online, uh, called them up, sent them off an, an email. They said, you know, righto, mate, send us a proposal. Um, I thought nothing more of it. And then uh, about a month before the concert, I got this call from Pearl Jam's manager and she said, um, uh, you know, Bono, Bono and Eddie Vedder have been talking about your concert um, and they'd love to come and perform. Um, have you still got a spot in the bill? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Hang on, let me just check. Oh, guys. <laughs> Yeah, and so wow. it just it just, it just um, took this thing to a whole new level. Um, and so I was, you know, I was 19 at this point, um, suddenly trying to negotiate media rights with Channel 10 and Nova and, uh, you know, the Herald Sun. And uh, it was really quite an experience. Um, and we ended up having 100,000 people. Um, apply for 15,000 tickets. Um, we had to have an overflow site with another 10,000 people down at um, 
down at the Docklands and had live sites around the country, um, broadcast nationally on on TV and radio and uh, made the front page of the paper. And um, we had 50,000 young people um, sign up to be part of the campaign to end extreme poverty um, and to ask our government to play a more effective role um, by increasing our, our aid budget. And, and Kevin Rudd was actually at the concert um, and uh, the next year he, when he got into power, um, Kevin 07, um, pledged to increase um, our, uh, our aid budget to 0.5% of gross national income, which represented a few billion dollars um, of additional funds um, uh, for developing countries in our, in our region um, and cited the campaign as one of the reasons for that decision. Now, whether or not it was, I'll never know, but if we contributed even in a, in a really small way, um, yeah. it was a you know, pretty, pretty remarkable year. Uh, so when you after the end of that concert, clearly you are like, this is more than healthcare. You know, this is it's bigger than medicine. It's bigger than like inequality. Mm. Where, where are the root cause? I mean, we could talk about how the fossil fuel industry is is essentially still colonial exploitation. Four hundred years after we said that's not a good thing to do anymore, but we're still fucking exploiting. Mm in a colonial way, it just looks like corporations doing it. It's colonialism. It just is. It's colonialism. It's white people extracting resources from poorer countries. It's what it is. Um, when did you start to go energy might have a play here and, and energy independence and, and renewable energy and free access to energy as far as a way of economic development mm. um, might be the connection? Where did that happen for you? Yeah, so I think I'd always been... Um, sort of passionate about climate and sustainability um, for for a long time. You know, I'm a surfer. I love the outdoors. I love the mountains and nature, and um, I've always really appreciated that. Spent a lot of time sort of diving in the Great Barrier Reef, and um, and so I was always concerned from that perspective. And then um, that experience in in um, with the Make Profit History campaign really made me see the other side of this, the human side of of climate change and the inequality. Um, that already exists in our world, but that is going to be exacerbated um, dramatically by 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 climate change. Um, and it is the world's most vulnerable people um, that are living on less than two dollars a day that are going to be most affected um, by um, you know the, the massive climate shocks that are going to happen. Um, you know, uh, no matter how fast we we decarbonize, you know, some of this is already going to happen. Um, and that in the, the the injustice of that, that the people that are contributed most. Um, uh, to this problem um, are the ones that are going to be affected least. And these people that have contributed the least um, are going to be, you know, um, if you're living at the margins of survival and then all your crops fail because of a heat wave or because of a flood, um, the impact on them um, is huge. And so I just realised that, um, you know, we can't solve any of these important social issues unless we solve climate change. Like we need a sustainable planet in order to have a prospering society and an equal society. Um, and, you know, climate change will exacerbate in international inequality between countries. It'll exacerbate inequality within within a country. Um, and it'll exacerbate um, hugely intergenerational inequality between uh, between generations. And so I think both from the sort of environmental perspective of, you know, I love this beautiful planet that we live on, um, and then also from this human perspective of this inequality that exists already in our world um, and that is going to be accelerated um, uh, by this. Um, it just made me really passionate. I was like, this is what I want to spend my life um, solving. I was born at this sort of moment in time, like the next 10 years are going to be really critical um, for humanity in terms of how, if we can actually respond to climate change um, at the rate we need to. Like, the transition is happening, um, but will it happen fast 
fast enough. The next 10 years are going to determine that. And that is going to be probably, you know, one of humanity's greatest tests. Um, and if we can do it, we've set up, you know, all future generations for a, for a sustainable world. And I think humanity will learn a lot of lessons <laughs> from the last 100 years. Um, but if we fail, um, you know, you basically can't come back uh, from that. Um, and so I just feel really fortunate to have been born at a time where I can contribute um, in some small way to addressing that that problem. Um, and I think, you know, I I feel really fortunate um, and but also excited by the, by the, by the opportunity because I really believe that um, we can do this. I'm so happy to hear your hope in your voice because there was a time when I was without hope and then it really, it, I got really sick actually because of this kind of lack of hope. My, my brain decided that there was, you know, there was no one working hard on this stuff, which is not true, but I, I couldn't see that there were plenty of solutions in play and people were working very, 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 very hard to try and make this happen. And some of that, some, looking for answers, I started looking into, um, you know, what role access to energy um, had in building economies, uh, the economy of the UK and the US and Australia, I guess, once coal showed up and once steam showed up and that mm -hmm. how very quickly quality of life improved once, you know, access to energy that allowed ideas to then exacerbate at scale, to get bigger at scale, start, started happening. Um, how, it, so we'll talk about Samoa because, you know, that's, we were talking about that. How can access to, you know, free or near free renewable energy help a country like Samoa um, over the next 10, 20 years? I mean, as you said, Australia, we'll be fine. We'll figure it out. We may have to live on desalinated water and GM potatoes, but we'll be okay. But if you're in Samoa or my wife's country of Fiji um, and three times a year, 300 kilometre hour winds come by and fucking destroy everything, um, it's tough. <laughs> So tell me about how renewable energy plays a role in, in, in those countries, um, you know, prospering and hopefully thriving. thriving. Mm. So I think we are very fortunate um, that renewables are now the cheapest form of power. Um, and uh, in fact, I think that is in many ways just a lucky streak that this has happened right at the moment when we really needed it to happen. Um, but most of those um, Pacific Island countries um, run, those, run their grids on imported diesel, um, which is very expensive, um, uh, you know, you're shipping it across the world, there's risks of um, oil spills bringing it into these, in these beautiful, across these beautiful Pacific reefs. Um, and it's very expensive, it is unreliable, um, and it is contributing to climate change, which is going to cause those, those Pacific islands to be um, inundated with, with seawater if we don't do something about it really quickly. Um, and uh, there is an alternative, um, which is solar plus batteries um, is actually a cheaper uh, solution for Pacific Island nations. Um, and um, I actually spent a little while um, uh, working in Hawaii, setting up Hawaii's community solar program um, about five years ago, uh, which was which was great fun. Um, uh, nice to be able to go surfing. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about that because that's that's a really interesting case. In that Hawaii, I believe that all their energy is is liquid fuel. Their power is all mm -hmm. liquid fuel, and it's all imported. Mm -hmm. But it's a, still a first world country. That the cost of living in Hawaii is astronomical because of how isolated it is and how they've chosen to to power themselves. So, what what did you learn from from that experience? Mm. So. You're right. Hawaii's power comes from imported um, oil. It's called bunker oil. It's like the most polluting, cheapest dregs of the refinery refining process. Um, and it is 
incredibly expensive, um, which is why Hawaii is really a test case uh, for the world. Um, so when I was there in 2015 and um, renewables, particularly solar, was just taking off, like they have an incredible solar resource there. They have an incredible wind resource there. This is true in many uh, many of these uh, Pacific countries um, and, uh, and states. Um, and, uh, you know, they will be one of the first places to run their entire grid on um, solar plus wind plus batteries. Um, and it is a really exciting test case um, for the world to prove that that can be done, to prove that you can manage supply and demand of intermittent renewables with the demand of, you know, 1.4 million people that, that live on Oahu. Um, so there are, um, you know, I think it is a really good uh, example for the world of what, what's possible and that the transition there is happening before anywhere else, because the economics made sense there before they made sense um, on the mainland uh, US. Um, and actually, I think the next, um, you know, if you sort of think about where the, where are the, the places that this makes sense, probably made sense first in small Pacific islands and, and Hawaii. Um, but probably the next place where, where it makes sense uh, is in Australia. Um, but because we have an incredible solar resource, we have an incredible wind resource, we have an incredible amount of space. Um, there is probably no other country on earth that is better positioned to take advantage of the renewable transition that's going to happen um, over the next, you know, uh, hopefully over the next 10 years uh, than Australia. Um, and it seems absolutely crazy to me. Uh, that we're not jumping on that opportunity because both from a, from an environmental perspective, from a moral perspective, and from an economic perspective, it is an unbelievably big opportunity uh, for us. When you did the the, the Make Poverty History con, uh, you know event, and you know when Eddie Vedder and Bono go, yep, this is a good idea. You're playing to the stands. You know you're giving the fans what they want to see. You're giving Eddie Vedder and Bono an opportunity to go. Yes, this aligns with how I already feel. You are playing to their existing morals. It is the morally right choice to feel. Oh, this is not good that these you know healthcare options are available to maybe not these these countries. Um, do, how does it make you feel that we've had to wait for it to be the economically right choice before? bigger players are starting to move, like the aforementioned shell? Um, I think uh, climate change is kind of a classic tragedy of the commons that, you know, every one of us, um, you know, the way that humanity operates is that we are individually smart but collectively stupid. Like if you look at what we're doing to the world, like if you look from the outside, if you're outside, you know, <laughs> human race, and you look at look at these smart humans that can that can make an iPhone, um, this incredible piece of technology, um, but are, are destroying the very planet that supports their way of life. That just makes no sense. And the reason that makes no sense um, is that if you look at it from the individual perspective, each of us get to drive our car, get to go for our overseas holidays, get to, you know, um, eat meat or whatever whatever it is that we're doing that's contributing to, to this problem. Um, but the whole world shares the cost of that. Um, and so there is, there's kind of two solutions to that. One solution is that we all try and cooperate, like you get 7 billion people to, to cooperate and say, I won't do this if you won't do that. Basically impossible. Um, uh, and then the other way is you actually just align the individual's interest with that social or environmental outcome. And then if you're going to align it, there's probably two ways to do that. One is government policy. So you just make the sustainable choice the cheapest choice. You subsidise the electric vehicles, you subsidise the um, the technology that is required um, to, to, you know, to get to, to net zero emissions. Um, uh, that's one option. The other option is you just let the economics do it. And fortunately, 
for some subset of the problem, a large subset of the problem, you know, electricity um, and, and renewables, the economics are doing this for us now. Like the economics are aligning the customer's interest with the environmental interest. Using renewable power is now the cheapest form of power. Um, and, uh, you know, for, the, for, for what's left, where the sustainable option isn't the cheapest option, I think we do need government policy um, to align those interests um, because just relying on, um, you know, sort of goodwill and altruism, um, I, I think, won't get us there. Even, even though people are, I think, believe generally people are genuinely good, You've just got this 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 sort of misalignment of incentives problem and this tragedy of the commons um, that is very hard to solve without without policy or economics in your favour. It and it is um, it is a tragedy. You know, I've I've as I mentioned, I've spent a, a fair bit of time in the Netherlands. I was there for I guess about a year and a half, all up on and off uh, for about six weeks at a time. I was studying over there and seeing. I mean, they they've got skin in the game. They're at the very least, I think they can handle a two-meter sea level rise. Like the whole country's below sea level. Like it's, you can't quite comprehend the 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 daily like walking through Hammerstraat in Amsterdam, understanding that I am like four meters under the surface of the ocean, <laughs> and it's been that way for four hundred or five hundred years, or whenever they built it. You're like fucking hell. These guys are really they're incentivized to get some shit right. They have to because their entire way of life will absolutely get destroyed. Well, one big storm and they're fucked. And, you know, seeing as I rode my bicycle around, seeing how many EV charge points would just be popping up over the year and a half that I was there, you know, and understanding the incentives, the government incentives into electric vehicles and into, you know, bicycles and you know, transport infrastructure and going, well, it's just actually, I get it. They've, the threat is so real for them that they just go, oh, this is the right thing to do. We'll do it. Yet here in Australia, we're just so fucking lucky that we're not. We're, you know, sure, half our country burned down two years ago, but eh, it was last summer, it's been wet, the last two summers, fine, whatever. You know, we're so divorced from what's actually going on. I really hope we don't get to the point where there's, there's like there's no bananas or lettuce on the shelves before people go, oh, <laughs> you know. that. But unfortunately, we kind of have to, you know, I say it all the time, we're, I hope we don't have to wait for the heart attack before we change our diet, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think humans really struggle with long-term, intangible, uncertain problems. Like we have evolved to, you know, you know, fight the lion that jumps out at us or fight the person that attacks us in that moment, that immediate threat. And these sorts of threats that are, you know, 10, 20 years in the future, there's uncertain complex science that are driving it. You don't know exactly, you know, it's going to be bad, but you don't know exactly how bad. It's kind of hard to imagine a world um, with, you know, two degrees or three degrees of, of, of warming. Um, and I think we are just not well suited to solving those problems, um, which is why we need someone smart to look at the maths and the economics and go, okay, this is going to happen. And I think um, this is the policy that we need to put in place so that from every individual perspective, this becomes, a sh there's a short-term incentive to do that, which is to buy an electric vehicle because it's cheaper than a petrol car, um, to use renewables because they're cheaper than coal, um, to buy green steel um, because there's been government support for, for green steel. Humans just will not solve this problem unless we set up the systems and structure um, incentives to, to make it happen. You were a part of... Um the very, very big battery or the very, very big Twitter bet between Cannon Brooks and Musk, which I love that that happened. Um, what was 
What was that like? Were you at Tesla before the tweet happened? What was it like on the day the tweet happened? What happened next? So uh, so there's actually two projects in South Australia. There was the Tesla Big Battery, which was the Mark Cannonbrook's um, Elon um, tweet. And then there was a second project, which Elon announced um, shortly thereafter, which is as well as building this massive um, battery in South Australia, we're also going to build a massive battery distributed across thousands of homes in South Australia, control those all as one uh, big power station and feed them into the grid. Um, and so I was hired to develop that second uh, project. So there's distributed batteries across thousands of homes in SA. Um, so I wasn't there exactly at the moment that those those tweets were, <laughs> right. were, were flying around, but I've heard some uh, pretty good stories about it. It was a pretty, uh, pretty wild few days there at, uh, <laughs> at Tesla. Um, we were actually doing that on social, social housing um, in South Australia, so installing solar panels and batteries um, across thousands of um, uh, social housing in, in SA and then um, uh, giving the residents of those homes um, cheaper electricity than they were currently buying. So getting, they were getting a discount on their electricity bill and their power was coming from solar panels on the roof and, and batteries uh, in the garage. So it was pretty cool to, to um, see what was possible there. And I think they're the sort of models that we need um, to really get this to scale um, so that, um, you know, we can take this to the mainstream, not just to the, to the wealthy few who can afford it uh, right now. Part of the thing that you are doing at Amber, and, I, I, I'm, you know, we're, we're definitely getting towards that because I really want to talk a lot about it, um, is the, the upward consumer pressure on industry and when do you think looking back at australia's history of solar uptake which is fucking significant when you look at around the world when did you think that energy companies started to kind of go oh hang on a second here this is our this is our bottom line people aren't buying as much as they as they used to when did that start to happen in australia it's been happening for quite a while. So I was at the Boston Consulting Group for a while advising electricity retailers and networks back in sort of 2013. Um, and back then I did a, a piece of work for one of the big players looking at the forecast uptake of solar and batteries. Um, and on the one hand, they were sort of concerned about what it was going to do to their existing existing business that was going to catalyze their existing business and then on the other hand sort of thinking about you know where's the where's the economic opportunity in here for us and i think it's a similar to the conversation we're having about um, with shell at the moment is it's just um you know i won't mention names but uh, they own you know large coal and gas generators and so it's just fundamentally um not in their interest uh, to do this like those those assets have you know a long a long uh, existing remaining life on them and so as much as they know that this is right for the world they know that there's economic opportunities there they have this classic incumbents dilemma that it's just not in their incentive um, in in their interest um, to accelerate that uptake and so they kind of dabble around the sides um but they're all and, and even if they wanted to i think they're just big too big and too slow and too set in the ways they've always done things for very long periods of time they just cannot um transition so i think People have seen the writing on the wall, like, like the future that we're now building with Amber. I think that has been well known for ten years that this was this was coming, um, but there weren't the big players didn't want to accelerate it, and the small players, you know, didn't have the capital to to make it happen. And we needed a little bit of technology um, uh, innovation along the way too. It is interesting how the the confluence, like when I think about podcasting, for example, podcasts have been around since the iPod showed up, right, in 1999, uh, 2002, I think, I got my first iPod. But um, it wasn't mobile. There was no, you know, I, I got, I think, 
40 or 400 meg a month of data or something like that back then. Like that's three podcasts and I'm out. I can't send emails, whatever, right? So you kind of had to wait for the, the, the handsets to accelerate to a point where they could handle processing, you know, multitasking. They had to ha- wait for the mobile data caps to go through the roof and, you know, you know, headphone technology to explode and then bang, podcasts. You know, suddenly everyone's, you know, you have to wait for these things to all kind of happen at the same time. And and similarly, thing Amber couldn't have existed without smartphones and smart meters. Yeah. And and now and now here you are. When you think about what's been driving you and all the work you've been doing, why did the like how did that shape the business model that Amber is? Yeah. So I've been passionate for a long time about how do we move the world to hundred percent. Uh, renewable energy. And the challenge when I started working in this field, you know, 10 years ago, it used to be that renewable energy was expensive. Um, it's actually, renewables are now the cheapest form of power. That's no longer the problem. The problem now is that it's not always windy and it's not always sunny. So those cheap renewables aren't always available uh, in the grid. And so one solution to that is large scale batteries to charge up when there's excess wind and solar and then discharge when people need power. Um, but that is, uh, you know, quite an expensive solution. Uh, and there's a much cheaper option, which is just to help people use that cheaper renewable power uh, when it's available in the grid. And then there is this really big opportunity to do that now with household batteries, electric vehicle chargers, and other smart devices uh, entering the home that can be automated to automatically use that cheap renewables um, w- when, they're, when they're generating. Um, and, uh, and the kicker is that because that renewable power is, is cheaper, um, that will both save people money and drive the renewable energy transition. And so I think when you find those win-wins that are both good for customers and good for the world, there's something pretty special uh, in there. And so um, I actually took a year off um, back in 2017 um, and uh, wrote um, 40 different business plans uh, about how to solve this problem. Um, uh, I sat on lots of beaches in in uh, Ecuador and Nicaragua and just like sat on the beach thinking all day about like how do we enable the business model to enable this future, to accelerate this transition because this, this future has to happen. Like if you believe renewable is going to keep it getting built, you believe smart devices are going to keep coming into people's homes, um, you believe that the cost of solar and batteries is going to keep coming down um surely and you can believe people are going to buy electric vehicles surely the future is one where those devices are automated to use that cheaper renewable power um it would be crazy if we didn't do that and so i would spend this time thinking about what is the business model uh, to enable that future um and i was uh, actually sitting on the beach in a place called montanita uh in in ecuador um with my now co-founder chris um who we'd worked we'd worked together at bcg um and i was pitching chris all these different these 40 different ideas uh and chris um, as he usually does, ripped apart all my ideas, pointed out all the reasons they were never going to work, all the reasons that they were too complicated. Um, and then Chris said, why don't we just give customers direct access to the real-time wholesale electricity price um, as it varies every 30 minutes? Um, because that will perfectly align customers' incentives with using that cheaper renewable power. Um, so the way normal retailers work is that they buy power in this wholesale market. So in the middle of the day, there's lots of cheap solar flooding into the grid. That wholesale price is really cheap. Then everyone gets home from work. That power is coming from expensive coal and gas. Um, that power is more expensive. So normal retailers buy power in that wholesale market. And then they add on what's called a financial hedge to turn that variable price into a fixed price. They add on their margin, they sell power to you at a fixed price. Um, and there's a couple of problems with that model. The first one is you pay a lot for those financial hedges. You buy them from coal and gas generators and there's a small number of players that charge a fortune for them. Um, But the bigger problem is that it um, doesn't align customers' interests with using that that renewable power. So in the middle of the day, 
that wholesale price might actually only be ten cents a kilowatt hour. There's all this cheap solar flooding to the grid. The actual price of that power is ten cents a kilowatt hour, but you're still paying twenty five cents a kilowatt hour fixed rate um, from your retailer. And so you have no incentive to use those cheap renewables, which is bad for you as a customer. Um, but it's also really bad for the solar de- solar developers because there isn't enough demand for power in the middle of the day when their solar farms are generating, which is making the wholesale price get lower and lower and lower and making it harder and harder to get new solar projects built. And so you see right now in South Australia, large solar farms are getting curtailed, which basically means turned off. There isn't enough demand for the power that they're generating in the middle of the day because no one is using that power. So the actual wholesale price is regularly zero or even negative. So we'll actually pay you to use power in the middle of the day. and Amber customers get pretty excited about this idea that we're paying them to charge our electric vehicle in the middle of the day. Um, and But with a normal retail, you don't see any of that. You just pay a fixed price, and so you have no incentive to use those cheap renewables, which is worse for you and, and worse for the world. So um, I have to give Chris the credit for having that idea, which was much simpler than any of my complicated ideas about how to solve this problem. Let's just give people access um, to the wholesale price. So that's, that's, uh, that's what we did. But you, 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 make, you charge a subscription fee. Yeah. to have access to this and that's that's where the the margin is for to, yeah, to exactly. you know keep the keep the printers full of toner and keep the you know exactly <laughs> keep the keep the lights on and 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 you know pay for lunch and that sort of thing yeah. so yeah you got to you got to make money at some, at some point yeah yeah of course so yeah so the, our, our model is that we just charge $15 a month um, subscription fee and then give people direct access to that real time wholesale price without any any margin um and there's a few, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about incentive alignment um, today. I think um, we really believe in the power of that. So on the one hand, you've got customers' interests are aligned with using power at the times of day when there's lots of cheap renewables uh, in the grid in the middle of the day, generally when there's lots of solar or overnight when there's lots of wind and not much demand. Um, but then as a business, you know, we see ourselves as a purpose-driven business. Our mission is to shift Australia to 100% renewables. Um, and so we don't want to be making money from selling power to you because if we make money from selling power to you, we've got these conflicting interests, oh, we want to sell you power, but actually we want you to use less power so you can, because that's more sustainable. And so because we just charge $15 a month, we have no interest in selling you more power. Like we want you to use um, less power, buy, get your power from your solar and your batteries, use power at the cheapest times, get the lowest possible bill. In fact, even better if you're getting a negative bill and we're paying you for the, your exported solar and, and batteries. And so I think there's something powerful there about aligning the customer's interest with the renewable outcome and aligning our interest with the customers and the, and the um, you know, environmental outcome as well. The other day, I'm sitting on my couch on a Saturday morning. We're watching Gardening Australia as we do on a Saturday morning with with Wolfie, and I'm drinking my cup of coffee, <laughs> and my phone pings and goes, "It's 14 cents a kilowatt hour right now." And this is like a 10 in the morning. It's 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 normally 14 cents a kilowatt hour at that two in the morning. <laughs> I jump up out of the couch and I ran to the driveway in the rain. And I plugged in my car. <laughs> I was so fucking stoked. Uh, Awesome. And I'm sure that as it as it goes, you know the, you know I use an app called If This Then That. There's plenty of others, Zapier. There's all sorts of other things that you know knock on to you know connecting two different systems together. But I'm sure there'll be a point where I just leave my car plugged in, and your app tells my charging wall app, um, you know my charger is connected to Wi-Fi. Hey, now go rather than me setting a, a timer, and that that will all come. Which is is really exciting. The only thing is, I've only got one charger, and I can't charge the motorcycle at the same time <laughs> as the. It's actually that's actually coming uh, very soon. 
Um, so uh, our model is, um, you know, at the moment we have, um, as you mentioned, we have an app which shows people what the wholesale price is right now, percentage of renewables is in the grid right now, what it's going to be for the rest of the day. Um, and so people are trying to, you know, use power, run their washing machine, dishwasher, dryer, charge your electric vehicle at those times a day when there's lots of cheap renewables flooding into the grid, um, which, you know, saves people money, but then also accelerates that renewable uh, transition, helps us get more renewables built. Um, but where we are going is automating all of that. So automating your household battery, your electric vehicle charger, other smart devices in your home. So you don't need to think about it. And we automatically um, uh, you know, shift your load to when there's uh, cheaper renewables in the grid. Um, and so, you know, for example, let's take electric vehicle. Um, uh, you know, where we where we're going, this we're aiming to have this out in, in Q2 uh, next year, so only a few months, a few months away. Um, that you'll plug in your electric vehicle when you get home from work at, at 8 p.m. You put into the Amber app, I want my car charged by 8 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning, and it'll automatically charge at 2 a.m. in the when the when the wind is blowing and the wholesale price is half the price. Um, and you wake up and your car is charged from renewable sources uh, at half the price. Um, so that is that is very much <laughs> the plan. And and we're doing that with with EVs later next year. We're actually already doing that with household batteries today. So automating your battery to you know import. Um, uh, at the times that there's lots of solar flooding into the grid and then export at the times that there's lots of coal and gas in the grid to displace uh, those coal and gas generators. And then also um, it means you can, you know, rather than the coal and gas generators who sometimes charge like $100 more than the normal average price um, uh, when they're under demand, you can earn 100, 100 times more than <laughs> like $14 a kilowatt hour for your exports. Um, so it is, uh, and which, which and I think is really important because it improves the economics of a battery because you can use that battery to arbitrage on the wholesale price, um, which then means that you bring down the payback period on those batteries and drive the uptake of batteries, which then drives the renewable transition. And we want to get to a place where we are automating millions of smart devices, household batteries, electric vehicle chargers, other smart devices around the country um, to automatically shift their load to when those renewables are generating so that we can replace an entire coal-fired power station with renewable assets plus flexible demand. It seems like many things. It seems like it's a no-brainer. <laughs> um, I, I did want to ask one one question because you're more, uh, you know, obviously more aware of all this than the other. Um, why is there such a discrepancy between uh, how much I pay for, say, if I'm not using Amber? Mm -hmm. um, why is there such a discrepancy between the electron that comes this way down the wire mm -hmm. um, uh, into my house uh, at say you mentioned earlier, 25 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. But when this, you know, the exactly the same quality of atomic particle electron <laughs> goes the other way down the wire, why is that electron worth uh, sweet fuck all? Like what's... <laughs> What's the difference between these electrons, Dan? They're the same thing. It's not like mine are special, like theirs come a special, hey, we're from, you know, Big Energy Corp. We're <laughs> awesome. Yours, shitty little solar, not as quality as ours. Your oven's not going to go well. Like why, what's the difference? It's just the same thing. Why is there such a discrepancy between the feed-in tariffs and the how much you pay for it? There's two differences. Um, the first one, which is um, that... When you buy power from the grid, you pay for the energy cost and then you pay for the network cost as well. So you pay for the actual energy to the, the whether it's the renewable farm or the coal and gas generator, and then you pay the network company for the poles and wires to get that power to your house. Um, but when you export the power, you just get um, the value of the energy uh, back. And that value of the network costs is pretty significant. It's like, you know, a third or a half of the cost um, of the power, depending on the time of day. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the point I was making before, is in the middle of the day, 
we've now have 3 million homes with solar on their roof. There are large scale generators being built. Australia is installing so, um, renewables five times faster than the EU, the US and China. Like we are the fastest per capita installer of solar in the world, which you know is incredible considering we have ter- no government policy. It is still happening because it just it just makes sense. But what but the problem is is that we've got all these renewables fighting into the grid and no demand for power at the times that they're generating because no one has an incentive to use power at those times. And so that wholesale price is going down and down and down and it's heading towards zero in the middle of the day. Like basically, you know, as I said before, we're turning off solar farms in the middle of the day because there isn't enough demand for that power. Um, so the other issue is the time of day that you're producing that, that solar, um, there isn't enough demand, which is the problem we're trying to solve. Get people to use power at those times so we can get you know, more solar on your roof um, and uh, you know, more big solar farms built as well. It's a it's a it's a very interesting scenario. The transmission thing. It's almost like, um, you know, food food is free. Tomatoes just grow wherever I put the compost soil. Tomatoes show up. Food is free. It's picking it, putting it in a case, putting it in a truck, transporting it to my house to the uh, you know refrigerating it, transporting it to the the supermarket. S- someone picking it out of there, putting it on the thing. Like that's what costs the money. Is the transmission of this thing to to me? That's exactly. You know, it's you got it. That's what you're paying for. You're paying for the the transmission of this electron. Okay, so I, I I I get that now. We've mentioned policy a few times, and look, we're talking. I'm no, I'm an incredibly incredibly privileged person to be able to afford an an electric. I've been driving electric cars since 2011, 10 years and a bit now. Awesome. Um, so I've been able to afford them. But when I bought my first one, it was in California. I was incentivized up the wazoo. The Californian government even put a free level two charger in my house. It was worth $2,500 American. And they went, no, we want we, because they have a vested interest in air quality in California. Like, no, 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 less petrol on the road is better air, less health outcomes, less pressure on the health system. Let's let's go. Um, so I had a tax incentive. It was under Obama, you know, and, and you know, I got a free charger for it. Um Yet I can still afford uh, an electric vehicle. I can afford an electric motorbike and I can afford an electric cargo bike. I know that I am in this elite group of tiny amount of percent of people that can afford these things. Yet you mentioned earlier that, you know, we talk about the Pacific Island nations, uh, the, the, the people who need this the most are the people who can access it the least. When, we, when you think about, um, you know, for example, in, in Western Sydney, where or any, anywhere you've heard of COVID outbreaks in the last two years, that's where it needs to happen. How can we help people who are, uh, I guess it's the confluence of your earlier poverty work. How can we help people who are right on the border of like people who say they needed a hundred bucks to fix something, couldn't find it. How do we help those people uh, access what could possibly be quite an intense upfront cost to get solar panels, batteries, et cetera? How can we help those parts of our community? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of parts to this. The first one is we should be subsidising smart EV chargers, um, subsidising EVs um, to accelerate their uptake until the point that they are economic. And they will be. Within two or three years' time, an EV, um, over the sort of lifetime of an EV, EV will be cheaper than a petrol-powered car. Um, and it is happening all over the world. So, you know, the UK, Germany, Israel, India um, are phasing out um, all EVs by 2030. Norway is phasing them out by um, 2025, but probably the last petrol yeah. car is going to be um, uh, sold in, in Norway next year. 
Um, because wow. why would you why would you buy um, a petrol car if they're going to be phased out in in four years time? Um, no one's going to want to buy buy it from you. So it is it is just happening. And so Australia should be doing the same thing. Like we should be phasing them out. We should be subsidising um, electric vehicles. We should be subsidising batteries. Probably not solar anymore because solar is just like wildly economic. Like putting solar panels on, the, on your roof is probably the best economic investment you can possibly make. But so, but subsidising these technologies is still a couple of years away from being really economic um, to to accelerate uh, their uptake. So that's the first thing. And then the second one is, even if it is cheaper over the life of the asset, it might not necessarily, there might still be a large upfront cost that many people um, can't afford. And so then we need um, you know, different business models. So for example, what we were doing with the Tesla virtual power plant is that those people in the social housing weren't paying anything for the solar and battery system upfront. Um, we were installing the solar system, we're installing the battery, we were completely financing it, and then we were just selling them the power. And so they buy the power from the, um, you know, they pay discount on their power bill, regardless of whether the power came from the solar panel on the roof, the battery in the garage, or from the grid. Um, and so I think that there are business models like that um, that actually uh, make this accessible to anyone. So the first thing is we need to get the economics there. Solar, it's already there. For the other technologies, it's close, and we should and we should um, subsidise them to make them economic. And then once they're economic, uh, then it's just business model innovation to uh, to make it cheaper for people from day one, rather than having them to wait ten years uh, for a payback, which many people can't afford. The moral argument for climate action is is one that is quite divisive sometimes. I understand that because a lot of people's identities are tied up in how they have felt about this and the changing your mind can be hard. But everyone loves fucking money and everyone loves to save it, you know, and everyone loves to make it. Um, so as we're moving into the, this election, economically, um, what do we stand as a nation what do we stand as a community to miss out on if the people we're voting for do not have policy uh, around a swift as possible transition to decarbonisation and to um, renewable investment and subsidies? There is a huge economic cost to being left behind. There is a huge economic cost of not addressing climate change. Um, that dwarfs everything else. There is a huge economic cost to being left behind when the rest of the world is is charging forward because they can see the opportunities. Um, and there is a massive opportunity for for Australia, bigger than probably any other any other country, because we have miles and miles and miles of desert that is full of sun that was actually not very good for anything else in 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 the old you know industries, but now is a huge asset to Australia. We have. Um, incredible wind resources. Um, we should be um, one of the world's leading uh, uh, generators of renewables. So we should be powering, we should be electrifying every, our homes, uh, replacing gas with uh, electric appliances. We should be replacing our petrol cars with electric vehicles. We should be running all of that on solar batteries and, and wind. Um, and that will be within a couple of years, the cheapest way, it's already the cheapest way for, for many people and it'll be the cheapest way for everybody within a, within a few years. And so there's a big economic loss there, cost of living cost, higher electricity prices if we don't do that. But then there is this opportunity to build masses of renewables across Australia, use those to then generate green, to produce green steel, green aluminium, produce hydrogen and export hydrogen to countries around the world that don't have the space um, for the wind and solar to power their economies themselves. Instead of being one of the world's largest coal exporters, we could be produce, we could be exporting hydrogen uh, to the world, which is entirely generated um, from solar and wind power. Um, and, uh, you know, we could be making a huge uh 
huge contribution to the world in terms of accelerating the world's uh, transition away from coal to, to renewable sources. But also there's a massive export opportunity for us to replace those industries um, with a far bigger a far bigger one that's making the world better. A far a far bigger uh, one. I think that's that's the real real key there. I don't. We're an energy exporter. We've been an energy export. We're a, a, a sheep exporter and a wool exporter for a long time, and then maybe a grain exporter for a long time, and then we became a coal exporter and a fucking massive one. We so we're exporting energy. We can still export energy, and as you're saying, the market and our ability to export it is bigger than the current uh, energy export market. So. If you're a party in power and you claim to be an economic rationalist, why wouldn't you? Why, what is the, what's the holdup? What do you think is standing in the way of these policies being put into effect, Dan? I think what is standing in the way is uh, vested interests um, that um, have their short-term economic interests tied up in exporting coal um, in, uh, in fossil fuels in, in general um, that have too much influence uh, over the government. Um, and it's really sad to see that because the vast majority of Australians are really concerned about climate change. They want to see faster action um, on climate change from our country and from around the world, and they can see the opportunities. And that's why they're taking to their own hands themselves already today. Three million people have already in installed solar panels. There's 40,000 people with electric vehicles. There's 100,000 people that have bought batteries. Like this is, this is happening and people are taking it into their own hands. The people are driving this transition. The economics is driving this transition. It is, un it is unstoppable and it will happen. Um, and the politics will have to follow uh, sooner rather than later. I wish, I wish the pol our politicians could have led um, because we could have been ahead of the game uh, already, um, but they will eventually follow. We will be back with Dan in just a moment. Uh, just uh, wanted to remind you about the live shows that we are doing. April 3rd in Melbourne. Look at your calendar. You're free. You're busy. After one's an afternoon. One's an early evening. Same in Brisbane, afternoon and early evening. I think a little later though in Brisbane. Uh, April 3rd in Melbourne. April 22nd in Brisbane. I'd love to see you. Uh, tickets are only 35 bucks. We tried to make them the absolute cheapest we could possibly make them because we just really want you to come to the show. Come be a part of it. I'm um, going to tell some stories. going to talk to a guest. going to talk with you. It's going to be a great night. Oshaginsberg.com if you want to get around it. There is uh, an ad-free version of this show if you'd like to support the show in other ways. It really, really helps us. If you get onto Patreon, patreon.com slash Osha is where we are. And a really quite reasonable low tier will get you an ad-free version of the show. All right? Uh, so get amongst it. Patreon.com slash Osha. And a big thanks to those who jumped on this week. It's super, super nice to see that some new people there. We'll be back with Dan Adams in just a shake. Here's some ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Here in Australia, electric vehicle, we we are we're a we we have no um uh, we have no auto manufacturing here in the country anymore. So it would be nothing at all for us to go, all right, ICE, internal combustion engines, over. We're not going to harm any single person that's making an internal combustion engine in Australia because there aren't any. Um, but we don't. And b- because of where we are and how we are, we get the the cars we are able to buy are the kind of offshoots of either either Japan or, you know, kind of any other right-hand drive nation um, that auto manufacturers are making cars for. We don't get to go, this is designed especially for the Australian market. They're not. We just get, you know, things that are pulled together for the UK and, and Japan. You know, it's in 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 the states, in in Asia. There's that many EVs you can buy, like fifty, hundreds. I don't know. There's seven hundred and fifty EV startups in China, for goodness' sake. It would literally not having the EV, the incentive incentive for EVs in Australia is like the re- us sitting here on Nokia thirty two ten, seeing everyone else get an iPhone, and our government going, nope, no iPhones in Australia. We can't have iPhones in Australia. You can import one. You go right ahead and import one that's got a Japanese head thing, and you can redo it. But nope, we don't need that shit. You know, it's it's that. We wouldn't fucking stand for that. It's fucking mind blowing, man. It, it really, it really is. It it, it really is, and I, I think it is just, um, you know, it is it is politics. It is not. It just doesn't make any rational economic sense. EVs are more fun to drive. They're better for the world, <laughs> um, and they very very soon will be cheaper than an ICE car within within a within a few years time. Um, and even 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 right now, for people that drive them a lot. Um, there are new models coming into the market that, uh, you know, are, are, are pretty close to the to the cost of a of a petrol car. And when you start thinking about the vehicle to grid option, so your battery, as you, we mentioned a few times, mm. that you always you said the Tesla battery in the garage. Well, the, 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 my my car, my Nissan Leaf, it can do vehicle to grid. I just don't have the vehicle to grid inverter at this point um, in my house. But like when when you start driving the battery around. And that becomes your your ballast of, of energy. It's this whole completely different system. We are, oh god! By the time this comes out, we're we're a, a few short weeks away from an, an election. I, I would really hope everyone just take an hour of your life, take an hour of your life to have a think about where your vote's going and what your vote's going to do. Dan, in your in your opinion, as yeah, you you've got a vested interest. You own an energy company, right? You own an you know you know electric energy company. What would you hope people look for when they're voting um, around, you know, what, what would you hope people look for when they're, when they're making their vote this year? I think your vote is really powerful um, and we should all be voting with um, our values in mind and thinking about what do we actually, uh, what do we care about? What is the future that we want to live in? What is the future that we want to create uh, for our children? And that means the world the world needs to reduce, if we want to stay below one and a half degrees, the world needs to reduce um, global emissions by 50% uh, by 2030. Um, rich countries like Australia should be doing at least that, if not more. That means that we need to have 100% renewables in the grid by 2030. It means that every all um, ICE cars should be, new ICE cars should be phased out uh, by 2030. Um, and so we need 
um, leaders, whether they're one of them, either of the parties or from the independents that are that are springing up, that are actually advocating um, for the, the policies that are backed by science, that make rational economic sense, um, that are going to create the, the future that we want. Um, and we need to be voting for those people, um, uh, not for people that are just voting along party lines um, who are influenced by, uh, you know, large vested interests that want to slow this down. That that's a, that must be a real challenge as well, you know, when you think about someone who has to vote along a party line. Um, you know, there's an MP I'm, I'm bringing to mind. I won't say the person's name. Um, who you know, I've had conversations with. You know, they are very much into the science and very much into what makes rational economic sense, and yet have voted exactly the same as Barnaby Joyce every time. That must break your heart. You know, I really feel for that person to to have that cognitive distance mm. when they go to work and hear the bell ring and they go, yay, knowing that it's probably not the right thing to do. It must be so fucking hard to be that person. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling that this might just be the uh, the election of the of the independent. You know, I kind of I get that vibe. Mm, I, I think I might be just be hoping. Yeah, I feel that I I feel the same way. But we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. But I think. Um, you know, we should be voting for people that uh, represent our interests, um, not the interests of, <laughs> of, of fossil fuel companies. Um, and I think uh, the independents are in a much better position to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's cynical of me to say this, but if you, if you look at, you know, former party staffers who now sit uh, in high company positions in companies that they may have helped out while they were in office, you know, they're, they're voting for their future. Uh <laughs> You know, you can you can vote for yours too. Yeah, what are you? What, who's going to look after you for the next twenty years? I'm so cynical about this shit. I'm so sorry, but I'm grateful. I'm really grateful that you're doing what you're doing, and I can't wait to to see the you know once the automation part you know comes into play. I'm sure you're testing it already. You know, I'm I can't wait to connect those APIs to to my chargey bits and all this kind of stuff. And and I was actually as you were talking. And I know you've probably already thought about this, but just for everybody in the family, it'd be helpful for us, I guess, in our kitchen, if there was some sort of LED that was connected and it sits on the kitchen wall and it goes green, orange, red, much like the app, you know, so everyone in the house knows rather than having to pull the app out, you know what I mean? Like a smart device that just, we stick to the fridge that goes, you know, are you, you're smiling because you've already planned this, haven't you? I, I love that you're asking that. Um uh, because I've been banging on about this idea of the amber lamp, um, which is exactly yeah. what you've described, like a beautiful lamp that changes colour, tells you it's green when there's lots of renewables in the grid, it's a great time to use power so you don't have to pull out your app. Um, the amber team have been laughing at me, uh, have been laughing at me, and if they listen to this, will laugh because I've been banging on about it for a year. Um, so I'm glad I have another endorser that this is a good idea. Um, <laughs> Asha? Well, it's also when my, when my in-laws <laughs> visit, you know, it's when other people come to the house and they, you know, they want to wait to put the the dishwasher on or, or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 now. Do it now. Put the dishwasher on right now. Exactly. It's, it's 15 cents. Exactly. It's going to be f 62 cents after dinner. So do it now. <laughs> exactly. And you, on the, you know your point before you were making about um, uh, vehicle to grid um, and the automation side? There is such an enormous opportunity there. So if you think about um, electric vehicles, an electric vehicle uses as much power um, as most people's entire home. Um, so it is a huge uh, user of power. If everybody comes home from work, and plugs those electric vehicles in, um, it's, you know, 7 or 8 p.m., we will double demand on the electricity grid at those times, and that's usually the times when the sun's going down and we're coming from coal and, power's coming from coal and gas. It will break the grid. It will slow the renewable transition. But if we can um, automate those electric vehicles, 
to charge either charge at the times that the renewables generating, so charge in the middle of the day or the middle of the night when there's lots of renewables available and less demand, um, or even better, um, use vehicle to grid to actually export the power from your battery um, in your car to the grid to replace dirty um, uh, fossil fuels at those peak times. Um, you turn that electric vehicle not into only into a you know a, a better way to <laughs> a better way to get around. You turn it into a huge asset for the grid that can accelerate uh, the renewable transition. So it's it is really important. Electric vehicles are great and need to be um, uh, need to be uh, accelerated, but it's actually how you charge them makes a really big difference uh, to that transition. Uh, and so for a vehicle to grid, uh, you know, for example, just to paint the sort of pipe dream here, um, the wholesale price of power varies between sort of 10 cents um, or actually goes to negative a dollar. So sometimes it'll actually pay. So you were saying 14 cents before. Um, I think right now I was just looking, it's 10 cents a kilowatt hour right now. There's lots of uh, renewables in the grid. And sometimes um, it actually goes negative and will actually pay you this power. Um, uh, so it varies from sort of negative a dollar um, right up to $14 um, or even $15 or $16. So exporting um, your power from your battery at, at $16 um, or $15, you could, you could earn $1,000 um, in a day from exporting power from your, from your battery at those times when typically um, the coal and gas-fired power stations make, you know, it only happens a few times a year, but they make a very large share of their annual profits um, by just gouging the market at those times. On a hot day, everyone's using power. There's huge demand on the grid. Um, uh, they charge a fortune uh, for their power. If you can export from your, um, you know, from your battery right now, you can earn, you know, one to two hundred dollars a day during those periods. And if you've got an electric vehicle, you could literally earn a thousand dollars by exporting during those periods. So we're pretty excited. That's that's a little bit further down the down the down the line, um, but we're really excited about uh, that future. Where's the hang on? So fourteen dollars a kilowatt hour terrifies me. I guess now because I'm, you know, uh, I'm exposed to the open market. <laughs> but mm-hmm. where's the transmission cost we spoke about before in that? Where's the 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 feed in transmission? Uh, yeah, penalty, so they're I guess? fixed. So, they're, so let's just say they're ten cents a kilowatt hour all the time. So you know, um, whereas the wholesale price varies dramatically. So usually usually the, the network cost will be, say, $0.10 cents and the wholesale price will be $0.10 cents and you'll pay $0.20, cents, like, let's say, on average. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, there are only a few hours a day when that price can really spike um, when those coal and gas generators make a very large share of their uh, annual profits. Um, and there are, and there are um, a few times as well when those prices actually go negative, down to a negative a, a dollar. Um, and so there is those variations. We um, have insurance for our customers. So um, we guarantee that they, um, we buy some sort of lightweight insurance to guarantee that over the course of a year, you'll do better than the government's reference price. Um, but those opportunities really are the biggest opportunities uh, to shift your load away from those times that fossil fuels are generating to the times that renewables are generating and shift value away from coal-fired power stations, uh, uh, you know, put it in your own pocket, pocket and put it to um, renewable generators. Even like if I'm if I'm charging my car uh, at, at 2 in the morning or the other day, 10, a. 10 in the morning for 14 cents a kilowatt hour and then using our oven to cook pizza like we did last night at 6 p.m., um, instead of paying 62 cents, which it was last night at 6 p.m. when we turned the oven on, um, I'm now saving 50 cents a kilowatt hour by using the energy that I bought at 10 cents a kilowatt hour, but sitting in my driveway. Uh, it's just a whole different way of thinking about how you power your life. Exactly. I've got 63 kilowatt hours sitting on four wheels out there. Exactly. You know, that's a lot. That's a fucking lot. That would power, you know? <laughs> it would power your house for probably a week. Yeah. There's a huge, there's a huge amount of power. My my scooter has three point three kilowatt hours in it, and my my motorbike has fifteen and a half. 
It's pretty. It's bananas. I'm, I ride around on a Tesla Powerwall that's faster than anything on the planet. <laughs> exactly. It's, exactly. It's fucking great. It's unbelievable, man. It's. Um, I'm so grateful that you are who you are, and that you, you know, it's no surprise to me that you're a surfer. There's some of the most groundbreaking, moving, and forward-thinking people in my life are surfers, because they're out there in the ocean and they see it every day, and they're, they, you know, they're out there with their friends, and you know, a, a, a chip packet floats by, and that's ah oh, fuck, mm. you know, that's, that's hardcore when you think about that stuff, and that you've put it all together to create what you're creating is just super duper cool, man. And um, I, I would be more than happy to be your beta tester for your amber lamp. Awesome. Uh, so. You can just hack one together. Get your people to hack one together and, and give it to me. Yeah, yeah, I could. I'm sure I could. I don't know how to know how to do it. My brother could probably put it together. But you know, get a Raspberry Pi or something and hack it, and then give it to me. I'll put it on my fridge. We'll get you and, on. You know, yeah, and I'll spend a month with it and let you know how we go over the course of the month versus the month before. Awesome. And summertime's good because you know we have an AC for the baby's room, so that'll work. Could be interesting. Sounds great. Thank you, Asha. <laughs> Team will be I'm so excited. grateful that. So grateful to talk to you today, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really, really appreciate it. And I've got to say, Dan, like whatever you need, don't hesitate to, you know, action. In a, a big part of me getting better was taking action in accordance with my values, all right? And, and despite how overwhelmingly, terrifyingly fucked the situation we all face is, um, taking a small action like this conversation and putting this conversation out there actually makes me sleep at night a little bit better. And so whatever I can do to help you, uh, not only hopefully will help you, but it helps me. <laughs> so <laughs> please you. let me know whatever I can do for you, okay? Thank you for helping us get the, uh, the message out there. Really, really appreciate it. And that was Dan Adams from Amber Electric. You find out more about danamber.com.au. I, I wish I had solar. I really do after the, yeah, I wish I had solar. And I wish I had, I mean, hopefully we are planning, trying to do a few little bits and pieces of the house. When we do, I'm, I'm trying real hard to put some energy storage in because that would change everything. It'll see what happens first, the vehicle, the home charger or the energy storage. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll see. Soon, 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 soon. But I hope it made you think about what your kilowatt hours are doing and where they're going. And particularly in this time when, you know, energy is a, a big thing and, energy to get your petrol car around we import fuel from 17 countries australia does and one of those countries is russia so when you are looking at the gas pump and you're seeing how much money's going in there there's a part of that that is going to russia and if what they're doing right now is not something you're into do you want to be given that money do you have a choice as to which country you get your gas from probably not it all goes into some big swilly pool that gets refined somewhere and brought here in a tank. Uh, tank. <laughs> so if you've made, I guess, ethical choices about where you buy things from or where your super goes, yeah, petrol. Yeah, there may be some other countries in other parts of the world that may have social policies and human rights policies that you may not be cool with. Um, but yeah, dollars, man. Dollars are leaky things. They go everywhere. But they mean they mean a lot. And they're a language that the whole world understands. And I guess that's what we're going to have to use. So, on Wednesday, we're back here with a, a quick version of the show. It's called Better Make It Quick. Uh, it's like a shorter version of, of one of the previous conversations that Bree, uh, my researcher and uh, production assistant, has put together. 
And we're going to revisit a fantastic conversation with Todd Sampson. He's a legendary thinker, a very solid operator. I absolutely adore him. And I'll see you back here on Friday as well. I hope you can come to the. I think come to the show, Melbourne. I'll, I'll see you. Um, I'll see you Sunday, Melbourne. We're on. Get your tickets. Oshaginsberg.com. Thanks to my audio director Andy Ma. Uh, thanks so much to Bree Steele, Toe Hider on music, and the almighty executive producer of everything: the pod, the live shows, the twelve thousand other things that I decide are great ideas and go. Hey, can we do this? Rachel Barrett is the reason that anything happens. Thank you, Rachel. I'll see you on Wednesday. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.